I invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's Word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 11 through 21. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So all of our grandchildren live in Texas. And uh, about three weeks ago, I... uh, Got a call from our uh, daughter, our oldest grandson, Liam, who's about four and a half, had come up to his mom and dad and said, Jesus does not live in this house. And so uh, they're trying to explain to him, you know, we, Jesus is everywhere and, and Jesus lives in, in, in our hearts. Of course, Jesus lives in this house. He says, no, Jesus is not in this house. And so they tried to explain, you know, well, it's like the wind, you know, you can't see the wind, Right. Uh, but the wind is there, right? So it's, it's like Jesus. He says, no, Jesus is not in this house. He said, well, y- you have a heart, yes. Can you see your heart? No. And, and that's what Jesus, Jesus is here, but you can't see him. And she keep, he kept on going, Jesus is not in this house. And, and this distressed his parents very much. So they called us later that night, and they said, you know, what, what can we do? And I said, I know exactly what's going on. Because just a week before that, we were out in Texas visiting with them, and I was in the car next to Liam, and Liam out of the blue turns to me and said, Papa, do you know that I love you? And I said, yes, Liam. I know that you love me, and I love you too very much. And that's a conversation that our grandson wants to have with Jesus. But he can't have a conversation like that, not in the same way he can have it with me, or with his nana, or with his mom and dad, or his brother and sister. And he aches because of that. In the 19th century, uh, Tennyson wrote about this same sort of thing after a college friend of his died. And he began a poem this way, Strong Son of God, immortal love, Jesus loves me. Whom we that have not seen thy face by faith, and faith alone embrace, believing where we cannot prove. He was at a low point in his life. He wanted to hear Jesus says that he loves him too. And he, it doesn't work that way, does it? 
For the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So, which is a very simple song, but it's not simplistic. It describes very profound truths that we want to get our minds and hearts around. And today we're going to start just with the very beginning of that song, the first three words, Jesus loves me. Now, for those of you following along at home, you're thinking, a Presbyterian pastor, a three-point sermon, three words, how in the world is he going to do this? And you're right, we'll go with Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. In other words, uh, who is this Jesus who loves me? What is his love like? And how does he, his love change me? Because if love is real, it's going to have an effect on me. If love is real, it's going to have an effect on you. It, we're not going to be the same. Coming out of that love, it will change us. So we'll start with, who is this Jesus that loves me? And uh, here in John chapter 3, we have at least three ways that Jesus is described. First, he is the promised one, the Son of Man. Jesus is talking with a Jewish leader, Nicodemus, by night. Um, he's come to try to figure out, Jesus, what are you about? And Jesus tells Nicodemus, no, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, this is a technical Jewish term. And Nicodemus, being a learned Jewish leader, knows what this term is. It comes from the book of Daniel. Uh, that gives us my favorite Bible story when I was four and a half years old, which is Daniel in the lion's den. And in that same book of the Bible, you have this phrase, Son of Man, used to describe a coming ruler. One of the places where this occurs is Daniel chapter 7, where we read, we read, There came one like a son of man, he comes up to the Ancient of Days, and to him, to that son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. The same sort of language is picked up in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And from that, it transferred over to the Hallelujah Chorus, where we get that he will reign forever and ever. That's talking about the coming one, the Son of Man. Not only is Jesus described as the coming one, the Son of Man, he's described here in the same chapter, John chapter 3, as the exalted one, the Son of God. We know John 3.16 well. The next verse, John 3.17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one, and only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, and so on. It's not the only place in Scripture where we have this exalted picture of Jesus. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we have this great Christological pa uh, passage, this great hymn to Christ, where we are told that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is the coming one, the Son of Man, the exalted one, the Son of God, and he is also the saving one, the one lifted up. Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now this is going back, uh, Jesus is trying to uh, remind Nicodemus about this story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, 
and they were plagued by vipers, by poisonous snakes, and many people were dying. And Moses comes to the Lord in prayer and says, what should I do? God tells Moses, well, make a snake and put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at that snake on the pole and live. So that's what Moses does. It's the Bronze Age, late Bronze Age. He makes a bronze snake. He lifts it up, and everybody who looks at that snake survived the plague and lived. Interesting, we also have in that same area, through an archaeological excavation of a Midianite shrine, Moses' father-in-law was a Midianite priest, we have a copper serpent with a uh, gold-gilded head. And you may be thinking, that doesn't make sense. Why should you be saved if you look at a snake hanging on a pole? And my response is, why should we be saved when we look at a man hanging on a cross? But it was pointing to this. And Jesus says that old story of the snake on the pole lifted up and people looking at it and be saved, that's pointing to what I will do. I will be lifted up. And whoever looks in me in faith will be saved. So this is the Jesus that loves you. This is the Jesus that loves me. I want you to think about a time in your life where it was difficult for you to believe, to take in, that Jesus loves you. Maybe you didn't stop believing that, but it was difficult because of something you were going through. It may have been something outside some outside crisis, a, a, a medical crisis, you lost a job, some relationship crisis, but something that made it really tough for you to hold on to the truth that Jesus really does love you. Or it may have been an internal struggle, something going on where you're trying to integrate different parts of your life and, and, and they weren't coming together well and, and you began to doubt where you hadn't doubted before. What was it that finally brought resolution? What was it that got you to the point of believing that Jesus is strong enough to love you well? Because that's what the song says, right? We are weak, but he is strong. What can finally convince you that Jesus was strong enough to love you well. And, and maybe you're right in that funky, strange place where you can't bring it all together this morning, and that's okay. Because we're the kind of church where we can dwell a while with questions and walk with people who are questioning. Amen? So this is the Jesus that loves us, what is the love of Jesus like? We know John 3.16, John 3.17, uh, for God did not so, uh, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So in other words, all I have to do is explain to you love in five minutes or less. You know, something that has baffled philosophers and poets for, for millennia. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this, and I'm talking with my lovely bride, Lori, about this, and, and she says, well, do you have any ideas? I said, well, I could do the whole philosophy of love. I could start with Plato and his emphasis on romantic love, and move to Augustine and uh, Negrin and then uh, C.S. Lewis. And, and she looks at me, her, her eyes narrowed and said, no, you're not going to do that to these people. <laughs> what other ideas do you have? Well, I, I could start with the 20th century uh, um, uh, uh, theologian, uh, Jason Lepel-Yarvi, Dr. Love. He's on social media all, all the time. And uh, his, his, his great doctoral dissertation, God is love, but 
Love is not God. That is, human love can lead us astray. It can make us do stupid things. It can make us do dangerous things. So we have to look someplace else in human love to get our orientation about what love is like. And my lovely wife's eyes narrowed just a little bit more, and she said, better but no. And I said, well, I've got one other idea, and uh, I can go back to 1992, and uh, Gary Chapman, he did the five love languages, has been very helpful in counseling. Uh, the, the church that designed the Alpha Course, Holy Trinity Church in Brompton, uh, they do a marriage course, and one whole evening is dedicated to this. Talks about how uh, we express love in different ways, and we receive love best in different ways, and that's different for different people. And you can talk about acts of service as one way to express and receive love, words of affirmation, quality time, giving gifts, and physical touch. And the amazing thing is, when you look at the life of Christ, when you go through the four Gospels, you can see multiple instances where Jesus is using the, the same five different ways to express God's love to other people. And not only that, but Jesus commanded us to use at least four of these five different ways to express the love of God to other people. And then my lovely bride's eyes perked up a little, and she said, yes, that'll do. So with her help, let's, let's try to, to do this. These are ways to describe the plentitude of the love that Jesus gives us, how it is vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. First, acts of service. We have many examples of Jesus showing the love of God in practical ways to people, serving them. And this culminates in the Last Supper, where Jesus begins that by pouring water into a basin, then washing the disciples' feet, and then drying them with a towel. And after he's gone and done that to all of the uh, disciples, he looks at them and says, do you realize what I have done? I, I have served you. You should do just as I have done to you. Jesus was able to express love through serving. And Jesus commands us to express love to others through serving. Now, that may not be your natural love language. This may not be the way that you best receive love. But Jesus says, for somebody else, that will be the, really the thing that drives love home. And so we all need to practice this with one another. So I want you to think of a time when someone was able to demonstrate love to you through an act of service. They helped you in a practical way, and you felt loved. Or a time when you were able to serve another human being just because it was the right thing to do, just because God loves you and you wanted to express love to others, and you served them in some practical way. And in the coming weeks, to whom could you share the love of Christ through an act of service? That is one of the ways in which Jesus shows us his love and asks us to share it. And when we sh share the love of Jesus with others, we drink in the love of Jesus for us in deeper ways. So acts of service, the second love language is words of affirmation. This is when you stop and take the time to express it to somebody else a compliment or to affirm them or to encourage them. And Jesus is doing this all the time. He gives pet names to some of the disciples. Uh, another example of this is where um, a woman comes and has this very expensive perfume, pours it on Jesus' feet, weeps as she's doing this, and wipes that with her hair. And Judas says, boy, that is a 
bad waste of good perfume. And Jesus says, no, what she's done is beautiful. And then Jesus says this extraordinary thing. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her, as we've just done that again this morning. That's an extraordinary thing. Extraordinary words of affirmation. And then later on, Jesus commands us to likewise be articulate, to speak the good that's in us. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out. They talk. They articulate it. They don't keep it inside. I want you to think of a time in your life where somebody has affirmed you at just the right moment and you felt loved and appreciated. And I want you to think of a time in your own life when you have uh, acted on that impulse, boy, I should write a thank you note or I should uh, send them a line, I should call them up and just say words of affirmation, something that will encourage them. I want you to think of a time when you did that for somebody else. Again, that may not be the way that you best receive love, but you did that to somebody else and it made a difference. And you had a sense that God used you at that moment to encourage them. And in the coming weeks, who's somebody that you could call up or, or reach out to or write a note to and give them words of affirmation as an expression of the love of Christ. The third love language is quality time, that is, where you're fully present with somebody. You stop attending to other things so you can be there with somebody. That's quality time. And Jesus demonstrates this again and again where he unexpectedly will take time out and do something different like Spend more time in prayer with God the Father, or he'll spend time with a couple of disciples, or just one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And in John chapter 3, that's what Jesus is doing for Nicodemus, that one-on-one -on -one time. In the next chapter, John chapter 4, Jesus takes one-on-one -on -one time with a Samaritan woman uh, who's gone to draw water at a well, and begins to talk to her about living water, and tells her, that the water, whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. And that conversation, that one-on-one -on -one quality time with Jesus changes her life. And because of that, the lives of many in her village are changed. And then Jesus has given us this commandment, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You don't make disciples of all nations in the time it takes for a sitcom. You can't do it in 23 minutes plus commercials. It doesn't work that way. It takes quality time quality time to teach them all that Jesus has commanded, to baptize them in the name of the Father and love and the Holy Spirit and get them going on the right track. We are commanded to take quality time out of our lives for others. So I want you to think of a time when somebody did that for you. It may not be your way of best receiving uh, love, but it may be. And, and somebody was able to be fully present with you and you were able to talk and you knew that they were listening and paying attention, and you felt loved. Or think of a time when you have been able to stop doing other things and you are fully present and focused on somebody as they poured out their heart to you. And you had a sense that God was using you at that moment in exactly the way the person needed. And in the coming weeks, Who is a person where you could give that quality time to? Where you could just stop doing other things and focus and be present and be there and express the love of God in that way.
A fourth language of love is giving gifts, a present. It's like Christmas or their birthday, but you do it maybe not just on Christmas, and you give them something tangible as a gift. And again, there are multiple examples of Jesus doing this, and one of the great examples, of course, is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish, and 5,000-plus people are fed, and there's food left over. And it's interesting that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, begins one of uh, his instructions this way. When you give to the needy, he does not begin if you give to the needy. Jesus assumes that you and I are going to give good gifts to people. When you give to the needy, here's how to do that. So when has somebody given you a gift and, and, and it really touched you deeply? And you are grateful. And you thought, boy, they didn't have to do that, and they did that. That's pretty cool, and you felt loved. And when is it something in your life where you've given a gift to somebody, and, and maybe you took some extra time and thought put into that, and you gave it to them, and it just made the difference that day? And who's some person that you could express the love of Christ with in, in the coming days and weeks? through giving a gift. And the fifth love language is physical touch. And this is interesting because this is the only one of these five where Jesus doesn't specifically command us to do likewise. Physical touch. And Jesus is often uh, touching people to heal them. And I love this story about Jesus and the children because parents want to bring children to Jesus and have Jesus bless them. Of course they do. And the disciples are saying, Jesus is a busy man. This is not a good thing. And Jesus says, no, wait, time out. This is a great thing. Don't stop kids from coming to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then Jesus begins holding them in his arms and begins blessing them and laying hands on them. Now, we don't have this as a command of Jesus to go and do likewise. We do have examples uh, later on in the New Testament where the followers of Jesus are laying hands on people in prayer or were they laying hands on people to set them apart for leadership in the church. But why don't we have a command of Jesus uh, to, to show love of God through physical touch? And that's because it can often be misinterpreted, can it? A physical touch, sometimes you know, it, it, it feels creepy instead of good. Sometimes it, it, you give this romantic signals where you're not trying to do that. And yet, I bet there have been times in your life where you've received love through physical touch and it was just right. Maybe you've fallen down and somebody, in kindness, helped you get back up. Or maybe you're very distraught and somebody that you know put their hand on your shoulder to try to encourage you. And there's probably been times in your life when you, not in a creepy way but in a healthy way, expressed the love of God through physical touch. Maybe they, they needed prayer and they reached out their hand to you, and you held their hand as you prayed. So there can be good ways to express the love of God if you do it wisely through physical touch. And I want you to imagine what that would look like going forward in your life. How could you, in a healthy way, express the love of God through physical touch? What would that look like? The love of Jesus is expressed in multiple ways. 
And when we express Christ's love for others in multiple ways, when we love people in multiple ways, multiple expressions, that's one way that the love of Christ dwells in our hearts and lives more deeply. So Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves me. How does his love change me? How does his love change you? And here in John chapter 3, we have at least three ways that are talked about how the love of Christ will change our lives. First, we will be people who are filled with peace. We are told that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, is not condemned. And that's where we hear about God's amazing grace. And when we take that in, that God loves us right now, I don't have to do anything to receive that God. God loves me now. I don't have to worry about God dredging up my past and using it against me. God is not going to do that. God has forgiven me. I dwell in grace and forgiveness. And taking that in, I can be at peace. I can go, ah, and know it's real. Our lives are changed by the peace we receive from Christ. They're also changed by the faith we have when we put our trust in Christ. We read, they have believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In other words, we put our faith in the right person. We put our faith in somebody who is trustworthy. I can trust the love of Jesus for me. Even when I'm at, at a point in my life where it, it, it's hard to, to grasp it, emotionally, I can trust that it's true. I've backed the right horse. And I'm filled with faith, and that fills me with hope. And a third way that the love of Christ changes us is that we become people who are filled with truth, God's truth. We are told, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they, so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so we take that time in, in worship or talking with one another or in, in Bible studies or small groups or in life groups where we take the time just to dwell in God's word and God's truth and, and let that sink into our lives so it begins to affect our thinking and our actions. Because if Jesus really loves you, if Jesus really loves me, we are becoming different people, better people with God's help. So, Believing that Jesus loves you completely and deeply and well, and believing that Jesus loves me completely and deeply and well, what's my next step of faith? What, what's the next thing I'm going to work on so that I can love Jesus better? What's the next goal you have for your spiritual life so that you can love Jesus better? It may be um, a, a character quality you want to work on. It might be faith. It might be hope. It might be love. It might be courage. It might be temperance. It might be something else inside. Or it may be a spiritual practice that you would like to do better or more consistently. It might be a prayer or scripture reading or, or some, some other spiritual practice. 
But what's that next step that you think God would like you to take in your spiritual life? That next step in discipleship, that next step of loving Jesus better. And having some understanding of what that is, what are you willing to stop doing in order that that becomes true in your life? Because any change, we have to stop doing something in order to do something else. Something's got to stop happening so that there's room to do something else. So what are you willing to stop doing? Or what will you need to stop doing in order to take that next step of faith? And who is going to help you with that? Again, you've you got to think this out a little bit or it's not going to happen. So who, who, what resources do you have? What, what friends do you have? What, what, what guides or counselors or just people that can tell you no <laughs> in some way that you're going to receive? Who's going to help you with that? And what are you going to stop? And what am I going to stop? And who's going to help me so I can take the next step of faith in my growing love for Jesus? So last week, we, we got a call, and we heard that our four-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Liam, is now going to different rooms in the house where he can all be alone, and he's saying out loud, Jesus, you know that I love you. Because he's trying to work out which is a, what is a very difficult concept. We are really loved by Jesus. And in response, we really love Jesus. We love the Jesus who is the, the expected one, the, the Son of Man, the exalted one, the Son of God, and the saving one, the one who is lifted up for your sake and mine. And even though love is a very complex thing, we, we've given some way to, to, to talk about how Jesus loves us and how we can express the love of Jesus with other people. We can use a, this lens of the five love languages, acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, giving gifts, and even physical touch when it's done in appropriate ways as ways to express the love of Christ and so that we can dwell in Christ's love for us in deep and rich and full ways. And that will change us. That will change us. We will be different people because of that. We will be people that are filled with peace and faith in God's truth. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells us so. Let's pray. Great God, we, we thank you so much for your love. Rich and deep, unbounded, free expressed in a multiplicity of ways. Your love is plenteous, and we are grateful. Lord, if there's anyone this morning that is feeling far from your love, distant from your love, caught off from your love, Lord, be present in their lives right now. Be with them. Walk with them. Carry them if they need that. Bring them to such a place of calm and peace and trust that they'll be able to look at you in faith and say, yes, I believe, Lord Jesus, that you love me. And if that sounds like you, if you would like to say yes to the love of God this morning and you're not sure how to start that, I would encourage you to pray silently the words of a 
simple prayer I'm about to pray now as a way of saying yes to the love of Jesus. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm sorry about the wrong things I've done. Forgive me. Come to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.